Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for reminding us of who you are, especially in these last few weeks. You reminded us of what it meant when it said, Lord, you are the son of David. Lord, we look back to Matthew 1 and Luke 3. Remember the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ, the miracle of your birth. Fully man, fully God, who came to this earth to live in this life and to die for our sins. Not only did you die, but you resurrected from the dead and you overcame death itself. So God, with that truth, we rejoice here today. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And may the name of the Lord be praised here in this place. We pray right now that, Lord, we will surrender everything that we have. And we lay them down at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ at this very moment. We ask, God, that we would approach your throne with humility, never with pride, never with rebellion, but with surrender hearts. And may the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, may your name be exalted here in this place. As we transition now to the message, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all the hearts for those who are listening here today, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. We thank you, we love you. Pray all these things. Your precious son, Jesus Christ, name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. amen. All right, thank you, church, for being here with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, God bless you. And before you begin, uh, let's just take a quick moment to greet our fellow neighbor before you begin. Welcome, welcome to our Sunday service. Last week, we went over the title, The Son of David. We looked at the passage of Matthew 1, Luke 3, looking at the genealogy of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus. And today, we're going to continue on. We're going to understand the title, The Son of Man. Today's message, the title is The Son of man. Let's take a look at our passage here today, starting with Luke 19. I'm going to focus on verse 10, but I'm going to read the whole thing from 1 through 10. But our main thing is in verse 10. Starting with verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So we know three things about Zacchaeus. He is the chief, the leader among tax collectors. He was wealthy and he was very short. Physically, he was short. Verse four, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, 
He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, let's all read it together. Ready? One, two, three. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. And then, amen. Is there a reason why Jesus doesn't say, for the Son of God came to seek and to save the lost, but instead he chooses to say, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He did not see Zacchaeus as someone who was of a lower status. Because he was a sinner, Jesus saw him through the eyes with empathy, with love, through the eyes of a human being. That's why it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the incarnation of Jesus, that he came to this world where he was fully God, but at the same time he was fully man. He came as a human being to seek and to save the lost. There is no greater humility for Jesus to say and to give him the title and the claim, the Son of of amen. So the question that I want to start off today is, how do we usually introduce ourselves? How do we like to be introduced? What titles do we use when we introduce ourselves to others? Is it Jimmy the researcher? Jamie the praise leader? Only it's like, I'm the praise leader. Ronnie's the ex-researcher. What were some of the divine titles of Jesus that the Bible teaches us? Some of the divine titles that the Bible teaches us, it says Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, right? In the book of Revelation. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the peak, the summit. There's no one greater than him. It says he is the Lord of Lords. He is the Prince of Peace. The Bible teaches us that the title that it gives him is the one who is and who was and is to come. The Bible says Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He is the king. He is the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah. There are endless titles of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here in this passage and in many other passages, Jesus, he introduces himself as a son of man. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Out of all of this divine title, Jesus could have said, For the king of kings is here and came to seek and to save the lost. Yes, Jesus could have said that. But Jesus, he instead, he chooses the title son of man. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus, in his humility, out of all the divine titles that Jesus could have ch chosen, Jesus chooses to call us out with the sweet, humble title, with the phrase, the Son of Man, as Spurgeon said. So let us understand the humble nature of Jesus 
and take a look at Jesus' life from the beginning to the end. Here are some references for us. If you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 4, 4 to 21, the context is the birth of Jesus. It says, so Joseph went, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to town of David, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. We know this, how? Through the lineage of Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3 that we went over last week. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds, 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 shepherds. That's a very important description. Living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appear with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So right away, we see the humble nature of Jesus, even in his birth in the beginning, in his origin story. Shepherds are like the outcasts of society. If Jesus really wanted to show that he was a king, he would have been born in a palace as a king. But rather, he shows himself among shepherds, the outcasts of society. And he is born in a manger. Not in a castle, not in a palace, but in a manger. Where the animals live and inhabit. And he presents himself to who? To the shepherds. Let's continue on. Jesus, right before he's about to be crucified. If you know the story, we went over this during Easter. John chapter 12, verse 12 to 15. The heading says, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. By this point, everyone has heard about Jesus, this amazing man of God who was doing miracles, doing healings, 
saving the sick, taking away the sins of the world. They heard the news about this individual. They come to Jerusalem. It says, verse 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's coat. Taken from Zechariah. Riding on a donkey. Entering Jerusalem. Why didn't he ride a white horse? A, ride, a white horse representing war and power and royalty, but rather he chooses to come humble, riding on a donkey. That's why the Bible teaches us there is no one greater in humility than Jesus. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he reminds us to imitate Christ's humility, right? He says, imitate Christ. As I imitate Christ, imitate me, and I imitate Christ. The heading says, imitating Christ's humility. Paul says in Philippians 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. What is humility? It's not, oh, I am nothing. I am no good. That's self-pity. Humility is what? The Bible makes it very clear. Humility is valuing others above your own, above yourselves. It's not looking to my own interests first, but it's looking to the interests of the others first. And then Paul goes on. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because Jesus, he did not put himself first, but he put the world, the humanity, you and me first. We were in his mind. That's why he came to this world. That's why he came and lived in this life. Fully man, fully God, and was tortured, and was crucified, and was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And then Paul gives us an example, and he goes into specifics in verse 6. He says, who, he's talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, it means Jesus who is God. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. amen. We need to understand the humility, the nature of that title, the Son of Man. When he told Zacchaeus in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. And amen. So quickly, point number one, 
Fully God, fully man. Fully God, fully man. We have mentioned many times about the deity of Jesus Christ. Right, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. And where he came and he destroyed the power of sin, he restored the sinners, he healed the sick, he brought the dead back to life, and we know that he is God. And at the same time, with the title that we just went over, also in Luke, that we just went over in verse 10, that he is the Son of Man. We understand that. For we know that he is God, and we also know that he is man as well. So Matthew 4, 2, it tells us that Jesus, after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. That shows the humanity of Jesus, the human nature of Jesus. John 11 tells us that Jesus wept. When Lazarus had died, it said Jesus wept. John 19 tells us that Jesus was thirsty. If he was not a human being, he would not be hungry. He would not be thirsty. He would not weep. For that is all equivalent to the human nature of who we are. There's not a single human being who cannot survive without eating and without drinking. So Bible is very clear, the human nature of God, fully God and fully man. And John 1, it tells us the divine nature of God, of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Christ. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And Jesus, he gives us hints throughout the Gospels that he is God, that he has the divine nature of God. If you look at John 8, specifically verse 58 to 59. It says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away before the temple grounds. So that phrase, I am who I am, is taken from Exodus chapter 3. Jesus saying, he's referencing, he's saying, I am. So when people are hearing this, they understand that Jesus, he is claiming to be God. Therefore, they pick up the stone. They're about to kill him. And if Jesus, yes, Jesus is fully God, but at the same time, he is fully man. So he hides himself because Jesus can obviously he can use like, and then they'll all be gone, right? The rocks will be in there and just crush these people. Jesus can do anything. But he chooses in his humanity, hides himself. And he slips away from the temple grounds. Jesus hid because he was fully man. And yes, Jesus Lord. But at the same time, Jesus embraced his humanity. And Jesus is the only being who will ever exist in history. Who was God and who is God. And who walked this earth as a human being but at the same time with full authority that came from God. 
So why was it so important for Jesus to come to this earth? A, Jesus desired to show the world that he lived a sinless life. B, Jesus desired to show the world that his sacrifice was divine. And as we stay on these sub-points, I just want to say this. If Jesus came fully decked in full power as God when he was born, he could not have lived a sinless life. Are you listening to me? Because he came with the full authority of God. For he would not be able to experience suffering. He would not be, without experiencing hunger, without experiencing thirst, without experiencing betrayal, the human emotion. And if he came fully decked in power as God, he would not be able to experience suffering. And if Jesus came only as a man, then his death will not be sufficient. For he is like you and me. Let's say Enrico decides, I'm going to die for humanity. Right? I'm going to die for their sins. And then he dies. It's meaningless. If I chose to do that, it's meaningless. Why? Because I am just like you. You are just like me. We are sinners. We are not holy. We are not pure. So if Jesus came only as a man, his death will not be sufficient. It will hold absolutely no power. When Jesus died on the cross, it would have no power to pay the sins of all of humanity. That's why the title, Fully God, Fully Man, is very important for us to know that Jesus is not only God, but he was fully man as well. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, Jesus, the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who have ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is able, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. How was he tempted in every way? Because he was fully man. Just as we are, yet, but what sets him apart? What makes Jesus different is that he did not sin. He was sinless. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. First John 4 says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that what? Jesus Christ has come where? What? In the flesh is from God. Do you believe that Jesus came to this world as fully man? Yes or no? Yes. Amen. Yes. Son of man. Therefore, as Christians, as true believers, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And if this is not true, 
If that's not true, his death is meaningless. Keeping in mind, Jesus is the second person of Trinity. The full divine nature of God is in him, is in Jesus. In other words, he is God. Going back to our point, fully God, fully man. This is fulfilled even long before Jesus comes into the picture. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Daniel is given a vision from the Lord. And it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like, what? A son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship who? Him, Jesus. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. The Son of Man. As humans, we all want to be dual something, right? Dual language, dual major, dual citizenship. We think that's cool, right? Dual sports. You're not only good at tennis, but you're also good at, I don't know, what, Ronnie? Wrestling, right? That's what Ronnie wants to be. Judo and expert judo and a tennis player. Many fighters, athletes, they aim for that. They want to be called the double champ, right? They want to have multiple belts, triple champ status, and multiple weight classes. They do it because they think it will leave an amazing legacy. But there is no greater dual title than what Jesus holds. Fully God, fully man. No one can compare it to Jesus because Jesus is the only one only one who could claim this title, fully God, fully man. Point number two, titles are secondary. Quickly, in other words, what I'm trying to say here is, in other words, as humans, titles, at the end of it all, they are pointless and they are useless. We love titles. Right, we love to hang our degrees on our walls. Yes, there are good things. It shows our accomplishments, our achievements. Yes, they're good. However, if that is all we are, name on a piece of paper, more, more, more than a degree, more than a title, it is about who we are and whose we are. So, so point letter A, who am I? And B, whose am I? So the question, am I in Christ? That's it. Am I in Christ right now as I'm living my life? Am I in Christ or... Am I in myself? Am I in my family? Am I in my gang? Am I in my fret? Am I in my sorority? But for to me, as Paul declared, we must say that I am in Christ. Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, as Paul declared. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My life is worth nothing to me. Only if I may finish the race and complete the task. What is that task? The task of testifying the good news, the gospel of God's 
grace. Paul emphasizes over and over again to know Christ must always trump over our worldly titles, our worldly accomplishments, our worldly fame. To know Christ, to know who you are, to know whose you are, that is the greatest accomplishment. If you can answer that question, you have made it. Not when you have that degree on a wall from the university. Again, those are good things, but it's not the main thing. I know I gave you a lot of scriptures here today, but I love the scripture, and I want to give a little more. Paul here in Philippians 3, verse 2 to 14. I'm going to share this passage in Oregon, but Paul says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put confidence. They do. These dogs, these evildoers, the people who are doing that, they do that, but we don't do that. We don't put confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul saying, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, meaning he is perfect. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of Faith, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind is strengthful toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. amen. The greatest thing that we can teach our young ones is not the degree or what school or what kind of accomplishments you have accomplished in this life. But in that accomplishment is Christ the center. Do you know who you are? And do you know whose you are? If you can do that, then all the other accomplishments are extra blessings. But we must keep the main thing, the main thing. Titles are secondary. And Jesus here showed us that as he claimed and gave him that title found in Luke chapter 19 in verse 10 when he saw Zacchaeus. For the Son of Man, for the Son of Man, for the Son of Man. Jesus showed right there and then, titles are nothing. The worldly titles. Point three, gain Christ, not the world. This is a must. You must do this. 
gain Christ, not the world. To the young men and women of God, I cannot stress this enough. We must get to a place, we need to get to a place in our life where we can forsake everything for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he gave it all up for us. Therefore, in response to his generosity, to his love, and out of love in our heart, and out of a willing heart, not forced, not enforced, but out of a willing heart, we forsake everything for the sake of Christ. So when you become a Christian, none of these things matter anymore. You know, how many followers we have in social media, how many likes we get, or how we get pleased from pleasing people, wanting to be loved, having fame and having lots of friends. All that stuff is gone. How much money we have on the bank account, all that stuff is secondary. But the main thing is the main thing. It is to gain Christ and to forsake the world. We put the world behind us. We put the world behind us. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Luke 14, verse 26, the cost of being a disciple. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not saying, hate your family. But what Jesus is saying is so polar, is so supreme, is so important that Jesus is not teaching us to hate our family members or our friends, but he is saying our love for Christ must trump over every other relationships. Does it? Is your love for Christ greater than anything else in this world? Jesus goes on, Matthew 16. He's telling his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man, again the title, Son of Man, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have let us finish this race as Paul finished the race with the reference that I mentioned earlier in Acts 20 and Philippians 3. Amen? Amen. Amen and amen. Where Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of what? Of testifying the good news of Jesus Christ. Not that I have already obtained all this or arrived at my goal, I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me, meaning I already won. I don't need to do more or less. I'm already here. I've arrived at my goal. Because of what Christ did on the cross, I already made it. That's what he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind it, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Not that I have already obtained all this, 
I have already arrived. But also at the same time, I pursue. I carry on. I continue on. Because Jesus Christ calls me to continue on. To do what? To finish this race. What is this race? To complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What's that task? The task of testifying the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of the good news of God's grace. So gain Christ, not the world. So what is the title of today's message again? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. What does that mean? Point one, fully God, fully man. The title only Jesus can take. No other individual, no being that ever lived on this earth, nor in the future will ever have this title. There's only one. Fully God, fully man. Number two, titles are secondary, and Jesus teaches us that. He teaches us this in Luke 19 that we just went over. He teaches us that titles are secondary. It doesn't matter. It is not important. He teaches us in Matthew 16, the title Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory. And then we understand and we know how to answer this question. Who am I and whose am I? Point three, gain Christ, not the world. Gain Christ, not the world. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And in closing, I'm closing with this. Our last point, point number four. To be human, to be a human being is truly a gift. To be a human being is truly a gift. Now, I want to be very sensitive here in our closing, and I want us to have a time of prayer and reflection. And the question that I want to ask you, and I'm sure you already know this or you may have forgotten, I guess it's a phrase, but I want to ask in a question form, do you know that you are a miracle? The odds of you being born, it tells us it's one in 400 trillion. For you to be in the middle of the ocean and make a wish in that time, specific time of that day, oh, I just wish maybe, I don't know, a sea turtle will pop his head up. And at that exact moment, it will pop up. You have more odds of that happening than for you to be born here in this world. Meaning it was divine. It was planned. It was part of God's plan for you to live in this world. For you to know your maker. For you to know your father in heaven. So the fact that you are born here today, we need to remember the genealogy that we went over in Matthew 1 and Luke 3 of the miracle of Jesus, of how he was born and how he came to be. And I want you to try to think about your own life here today, 
your own life right now, your genealogy, your family tree, the fathers who came before you from all the way back to the beginning, to wherever that was. That means through all of history, through World War I, through World War II, through all the wars and the famine of this world, the fathers who came before you survived, meaning before they had died, they had a son or a daughter to continue their bloodline, meaning we are survivors, and there's a reason to why we are here today on this very day. I want you to just think about that for a second. What a miracle it is for you to be alive here today, and how mind-boggling that is. It truly is a miracle. You're not here as an accident for you to just live this life and to disappear. But in this one life that you have as a human being, you need to know your maker. You need to have a relationship with the Father. To be a human being is truly a gift. To know the Lord is a gift. Amen? And with that truth, I want to invite you right now to close your eyes with me. As we have our eyes closed at this time, uh, can we just come together and reflect upon the message here today, the message called the Son of Man. As we look to Christ as an example of His humility, may we also imitate His humility right now and humble ourselves. And can we just take this moment to pray and lift up his name in worship. May we honor the Lord here today and glorify his name. And as we glorify his name, I want to invite you to repent of your sins, to come before the Lord with humility. Ask the Lord to come to your rescue and to help you and to save you in this very moment in your life. Let us look to him and understand that your life is not an accident. It is not a coincidence that you are here today. The Lord loves you. Jesus, he has a plan and a purpose for you. May you know the Father. May you know who you are and whose you are. Let us come together right now and pray together and worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us worship together and pray together.
trust in your family love, in your providence. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever you will be the same. Oh, son of man, son of man, son of man, son of God, king of kings and the Lord of lords, you could have taken. divine titles for yourself. But Lord, you chose humility to be born among among the shepherds. A full submission
For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And that he will reward each person according to what they have done. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for, from fear and, from, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. We want to thank you for calling us and for creating us and for loving us. It doesn't matter what family we come from, for we belong to you, Jesus, where we have a new life and new identity that is found in Christ. We are no longer orphans, labeled with the title as sinners who are lost forever. But Lord, we are sinners saved by grace. We have redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. For we know who, we, who I am, and I know whose I am. And with that truth, we declare as Paul declared, we will finish this race, Lord this task that you have given us, the task of testifying the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, of your grace. Nothing more, nothing less. One thing and the main thing is to gain Christ and not the world. We thank you. We love you. Thank you for today's message and reminding us of your divine nature and also of your human nature. Fully God, fully man, with the title, the Son of Man. We pray all these things. Your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And all God's people pray. Amen. 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 And amen. 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 Let's finish our service with the path of life in Jesus. And then when we do so, I would like for you to just take your seat because I'm going to do some announcements and then we'll finish our service with a benediction. Okay, let's worship together the path of life in Jesus. will run
stand to our feet and let's close our service with the benediction uh, Ronnie said he wanted to volunteer today to come up and do it in Korean so I'm just joking okay let's pray together may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you and may the Lord continue to turn his face towards you and give you peace. And now may the God of peace, may the Son of Man, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you now with everything good for doing his will. And may, may he continue to work within us what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. And as God's people, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. 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 God bless you. I love you. I'll see you all in the back. Amen. 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 amen.